official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. But Advent can feel really awkward for many Christians. It can feel countercultural because Advent is designed to slow us down. And Christmas is not a time when things get slower, is it? It's usually a time when things get busier. There's parties and decorating and shopping and baking and there's packing and there's traveling. And it's the time of year when hurry sickness sets in. Do you know what I mean by hurry sickness? Hurry sickness is, is when you're chronically short on time and feeling rushed and anxious. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, you know, I, I, I hurry sometimes and I'm busy, I live a full life, but I don't know if I, I would consider myself hurry sick. Well, I thought this morning what we could do is take a little self-diagnosis together and kind of measure our hurry sickness level. And I'm going to give you a list of symptoms And I want you to pay attention and just kind of self-diagnose yourself and say, oh, how does that measure, where does that, how does that line up with what's going on in my life? And this list of symptoms I got from John Mark Comer's book, a new book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the first symptom of hurry sickness that he lists in his book is irritability. You know what irritability is? It's when you get frustrated and annoyed easily. You get agitated easily. You're living with this ongoing kind of low-grade negativity. You're just grumpy. You're on edge. And, and you can't really assess your irritability by looking at how you interact with your peers and your colleagues. That doesn't count. You have to assess your irritability level with how you interact with those you are closest to. Think about the people you're closest to, because those are the ones we have the least grace with, right? So that's how we measure our irritability. Another symptom of hurry sickness is emotional numbness, where we have no capacity to feel another person's pain. And sometimes, if it's really bad, we don't even have the capacity to feel our own pain. We're just emotionally numb. Empathy is a rare feeling. In fact, a lot of times when we're emotionally numb, we don't have the energy to feel much of anything at all. Someone will ask you, hey, how are you? And you're like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just numb. I don't know what I feel. A a third symptom for hurry sickness is out-of-order priorities, where we're constantly getting sucked into the urgent. You know what that's like? Our life becomes reactive instead of proactive. There's always something that is is robbing us, and we rarely get around to the things that we say are important to us. We think they're important, we say they're important, but we rarely get to them. And we feel disconnected from from our calling, from our, our purpose in life. A fourth symptom is restlessness. That when we do try to rest, we can't relax because we can't be still. And so we might try to like spend a few moments with God and get out our Bible and have a quiet time and sit still, but our mind just races. We, we reach for our phone before we know it because we're looking for the next dopamine hit, right? We can't be still. We have to have just something always happening, it's restlessness. How are we doing so far? I'll give you a few more. I'll give you a few more. 
workaholism, when you just don't know when to stop working. Your drug of choice is accomplishment, and so you just have to work and work and work. And what happens is we end up experiencing something called sunset fatigue. Have you ever heard of that? Sunset fatigue is when you go home at the end of your workday, and you have nothing left to give anyone, especially the people you're closest to. It's called sunset fatigue. Another symptom of, of hurry sickness is not caring for your body, because there's just not enough time for it. And so we live off sugar and caffeine and processed foods. We don't schedule exercise. We wake up tired and exhausted several days a week. Anyone? I'll I'll give you two more. (laughs) Right now you're like, oh my gosh. Here's another one. Escapist behaviors is a symptom of hurry sickness. When we're overeating, overdrinking, we're we're binge-watching Netflix, we're browsing social media, looking at porn, Anything to get an escape from reality. Because we're too tired to do something that's, that's life-giving, and so we settle for a distraction. Well, you might be hurry sick. And I'll give you one more. Hypersensitivity is a symptom of hurry sickness, where all it takes is just a minor side comment to throw you into an emotional funk, where ordinary problems in your life become disastrous for your emotional well-being. You know, you get a flat tire and everything is just falling apart. Where you get a late bill in the mail, the one you forgot to pay, it's a late notice, and you're like, oh my God. Someone shows up late for a meeting and like you're just emotionally thrown off. So how did you do? With self-assessment. See, here's what, I, here's what I'm trying, here's why we did this exercise together, is because I want us all to see that hurry sickness doesn't just affect a few of us. It's a full-on epidemic. And December isn't just the time for flus and colds and coughs. It's also peak hurry sickness season. It's when we feel hurried more than any other season. In Advent, this Advent's important season on the church calendar because it invites us to slow down. Advent resists hurry at every level. It resists it at every level. Let me prove to you this point with, with Scripture. There's a prophet named Zechariah, and if you're new to the Scripture, you're new to the Bible, you're new to faith in Jesus, uh, the Bible is broken up into two parts, an Old Testament and a New Testament. And Zechariah is at the end of the Old Testament. It's the second to last book. And he was a prophet. And in Zechariah chapter 9, he says this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And you might look at this passage and say, Adam, I think you're reading the wrong verse. What what does this have to do with proving that Advent is supposed to slow us down, that Advent is slow? Well, here, here it is. The prophet Zechariah is foretelling Jesus' coming. And he's talking about how Jesus is going to be riding on a donkey in his triumphant 
entry into Jerusalem right before going to the cross. And, and you think, well, how is that slow? How is that waiting? Well, here's how. Because there's a 400-year gap between this prophecy being written and it being fulfilled. 400 years. It's known in history as the 400 silent years. You'll notice that the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. The first book of the New Testament is Matthew. And there's a 400-year period in between known as the silent years, which is why, by the way, Advent is four Sundays. Each Sunday represents a century of waiting and anticipating for Messiah to come, for Jesus to be our king. So the question is, why did it take so long? Can you imagine God telling you something in the year 1619? And now we're in 2019, and it happens, and you're like, wow, why did that take so long? Was God just, you know, distracted? Did he lose track of time? You would think something as important as redeeming the world (laughs) would be pretty important. It would be pretty up high on the priority list. So why 400 years? Well, get this. It wasn't just 400 years. Not only was there a 400-year wait between this prophecy and Jesus coming to earth, there's also this nine-month pregnancy involved. And, and, and you, you think, like, wow, Jesus is finally coming, and now there's this nine-month pregnancy. Like, couldn't, couldn't God just send Jesus in full human man, 30-year-old form, get this thing going? Like, it's been 400 years. Now we have this, nine, is there growth hormones in heaven? Can we get this, this process sped up some? Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. When the set time had fully come. So we've waited 400 years. Then, get this, after Jesus is born, he takes up carpentry and waits another 30 years before he even preaches his first sermon. Before he even starts his ministry, he waits 30 more years and just is doing carpentry, living life. See, this may sound scandalous to to some of you. But the God we serve isn't in a hurry. And if we're made in his image, as scripture says, then we're not meant to either. And this is what makes Advent season so countercultural. It's the exact opposite of how our culture approaches this time of year, Christmas season. Advent isn't meant to burn us out, deplete our souls, and empty our pocketbooks. It's not. Advent is meant to slow us down so we can anticipate and embrace the waiting of Jesus coming. Not just 2,000 years ago as an infant, although that's part of it, but also for his coming again, where he finishes what he started. So over the next three Sundays, we're going to look at how Advent resists hurry. And just so you know, the next three Sundays, I will be preaching to myself. If you want to listen in, that's fine. But I I can tell you this. I battle hurry sickness all the time. And so here are my three sermon topics for the next three Sundays. Um, Today, we're going to look at love is slow. And we're going to look at how hurry crowds out God's love. Next week, we're going to look at how peace is slow. And how hurry 
makes us less aware of God's presence. And then December 22nd, the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to talk about how joy is slow, how hurry prevents us from appreciating God's goodness. And we're going to go to the scriptures and look at like, well, how does hurry inhibit these things in our lives? And so today we're going to look at love is slow and how hurry crowds out God's love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's called the love chapter. We hear it read at weddings, right? It's, a, it's, it's God's definition of love. And what makes this definition in 1 Corinthians 13 so valuable is it clarifies for us what love is. Because love is a really confusing thing. You know, we, we say things like, oh, I love my family. But then we also say, I love pizza. <laughs> or we say, oh, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. I love God with all my heart. But I also love the color orange. <laughs> and so the word, the English word we have for love is there's ambiguity in it. There's, there, there's not a lot of definition, and so it leads to massive confusion. But what's so great about 1 Corinthians 13 is it provides for us a honed-in heavenly description of love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, there's a 10-verse-long definition of love. It has all these descriptors of what love is and what love isn't. And the very first descriptor used in this 10-verse list is this, love is patient. Another way you could say that is love is slow. It's slow. Which is really the, re- the reason that love and hurry are incompatible. They, they actually can't even coexist because love takes time and hurry doesn't have any of that. So love is patient. Have you guys ever tried to connect with someone who's in a hurry or in a rush? You might approach them and you say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, good, but, or, good, I got to go. Or, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm just busy. Have you ever said this to somebody? How are you? Oh, good, Whew, just busy. Or have you ever approached them and say, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm, 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 I'm busy. I'm good but I'm busy. What? That, that communicates something, doesn't it? See, when you hear, when you hear I'm good, but I'm busy, you, you hear, I'm doing fine, but don't ask for any of my time <laughs> because I just don't have any to afford. See, hurry and relationship are like oil and water. They, they don't mix well. And our problem isn't that we have things to do. It's that we have too much to do, and the only way to do it all is to hurry. We don't have enough margin or space in our, in our lives for, for a relationship and relating to people and loving people or even relating with God and loving God. I, I was having lunch with a friend this week and we were uh, commiserating our lack of downtime. You ever do that? You just talk to somebody like, oh man, just so busy, you know, just like we meant to get together but we couldn't, we had to postpone it and now we're finally getting together but oh, I got this meeting at one o'clock we got to go so we got to leave and you just kind of commiserate your, your lack of downtime. And we, and we were talking about how our technological advancements have made us more productive than ever in history. And yet, we have less leisure time than we've ever had before. Did you know that in the 1960s, 
futurists and political theorists thought that we'd be working way less hours. <laughs> Listen, a Senate subcommittee in 1967 went before the Senate and told them that by 1985, the average American would only have to work 22 hours a week. 27 weeks a year. 1967, before the Senate, like, technology is creating so much margin. It's, we're so much more productive than ever. By the year 1985, we'll only have to work 22 hours a week. 27 weeks a year, isn't that amazing? And yet, the exact opposite has happened. Our hours are longer than ever. Why? Because we filled up all the margin that, product, that, that technology afforded us and provided us. We filled it all up with other stuff. Which means this. The solution for our pathologically busy and chronic curried lives is not more time. Which we say all the, right, all, all, all the time, right? Oh, if I just had more time. That's not the solution. Because we just fill it with other stuff. The solution is to find the way to slow down. And the reason that Advent feels awkward and countercultural is because it invites us to resist the new normal of pathological busyness and chronic hurry. It invites us into that. See, here's the thing. When I read the Gospels and I read about Jesus, I'm trying to be a Jesus follower. I'm, I'm aspiring to be an apprentice of Jesus. I want to like live the way he lived and do the things he did. And what I noticed in the gospel is he was never in a hurry. His schedule was full. He was never in a hurry. There's a story where he, this guy named Jairus comes to him and he says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. She's like right on her deathbed right now. Can you come? And he's sure. Let's go. And he's walking and he gets interrupted by this woman who's had this internal bleeding issue for 12 years. And she touches his garment because she, she's wanting to be healed. And he stops. And he addresses her. He teaches his disciples. He heals her. Now, if I'm Jarius, I'm like, uh, come on, Jesus. Like, my request is urgent. You sh I'm trying to pull you into the urgent. Je Jesus was never in a hurry. He got to Jarius' daughter. Took care of that. And he was always busy ministering, but he was never in a hurry. See, here's the biggest problem with hurry and hurry sickness. Is it inhibits our, our ability to relate with God. I'll, I'll tell you this. When I'm living a hurried life, the first relationship in my life to suffer is my relationship with God. It's the first one to go. John Ortberg says this, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. See, hurry not only cuts us off from others and inhibits our ability to love people, but it also inhibits our ability to connect with God. It shoves us into spiritual oblivion. It slowly deteriorates our relationship with God. And so the Advent season on the church calendar is so much more than, than Christmas carols and decorations. By the way, isn't this um, Advent wreath beautiful? 
I want to thank Kelly Mormon for putting that together. Every week, if you're new to church, well, Advent is four weeks, and we have four candles on an Advent wreath, and each Sunday you light a candle in anticipation of Christ's coming. And so thanks, Kelly, for making that. But, but Christmas, Advent season, is so much more than just decorations and, and gifts. It's, it's a reminder to slow ourselves down, to settle into the waiting in anticipation of Jesus' coming. It reminds us that love is slow, it's patient. And if we refuse during this season to unhurry our lives, we will crowd out love. We'll crowd out love with our relationships with others. We'll crowd out love with our relationship with God. And so if love is slow, the question then becomes, how do we slow ourselves down? How do we slow ourselves down this Advent season? Well, for the next three Sundays, what I like to do in in my sermon is I want to provide you with three ideas for slowing down. And these ideas have helped me to resist hurry uh, and cultivate patience. And they've enriched my relationship with God. They've enriched my relationship with other people. And so I'm going to give you three today, three next week, and three the following week. And you can take them or leave them. I'm just giving you some ideas. They might work for you. They might not work for you. But hopefully my prayer is that as you try some of these ideas, you'll, you'll discover some ideas of your own on how to slow down so that you can anticipate Jesus coming into your life. You can anticipate being aware of his presence, and you can anticipate um, appreciating his goodness. And so here's the first one I'm going to give you. You're not going to like this one. <laughs> how to resist hurry this Advent season, how to slow down. The next time you're at the grocery store, get in the longest line. You're like, I had you until that point. Like, you were all with me in the service, amening, and yeah, yeah, nodding your head, I watched you. And then when I said that, like, your eyes get big, and you're like, no. (laughs) Because what we do at the grocery store is we do everything in our power to get to the shortest line. Not the longest line. And, and we say, why on earth would I do that? Why on earth would I go to the longest line at the grocery store? That is torture. Yes, but how else are you going to resist the hurry that's in your soul? If you're always looking for the fastest, always looking for the quickest, always looking for the way to get out, how are you ever going to resist the hurry that's in your soul? You know what you need? You know what that can do? Getting in the longest grocery line. This is something I do sometimes when I'm really hurried. It gives me a few extra minutes to pray. It gives me time to take my spiritual pulse. I, I, everything in me wants to hurry, even when I'm not in a hurry. Right? There's no place for me to be, but I'm like zipping. Where's the quick line? <laughs> like. No, sometimes I'm just going to stop me. No, I'm going to resist the hurry in my soul. I'm going to get in the long line. This is just going to give me a few seconds to breathe and pray. Take spiritual pulse. Remind myself that I'm not waiting to get to the end of the grocery store line. What I'm really waiting for is Jesus to show up in my life. What I'm really hungry for is Jesus to come. And this, this, this line reminds me of that. And there's been times I've been standing in the long line and I ask God, God, what are you doing in the life of the person in front of me? I don't do that in the short lines. What are you doing in their life? You know another thing you can do in a long line? You can take a second 
and actually look at the cashier instead of doing this. I tell you, there's been times I've gone through the grocery line and I don't even know who checked me out. Because as, as this, I'm walking over, right? Pull out my debit card. How are you doing? Good, good. 1849. So put it in the thing. Boop. Thank you. Walk out the door and realize I don't even know who checked me out. I just treated that human being like an ATM machine. What if God wants you in that line just to express his love? Can you imagine a job where, you know, uh, I, I think of this all the time, these poor baristas at Starbucks, everyone's just on their phone all the time, like, oh, what do you want, this or this, this. We ordered on our phone. Can you imagine working all day in that industry and not having any interaction and human connection? If, if you were an alien from outer space, you saw it, you'd be like, these people are crazy. They just look at their things in their hands the whole time. They don't ever look at anyone. I believe there's something godly about taking the time to actually see a person. Just look up and see them. That's number one. Okay, can you do that this week? <laughs> Find the long line. Here's number two. The next time you talk with someone, put your phone away. Even if it chirps at you. And I know the dopamine <laughs> that we need through these devices. Like you're, you're sitting there, you're talking with someone, all of a sudden, do, 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 do. It's beeping, it's chirping, you're like, and you're like talking to somebody, you're like, okay. <laughs> Here, here's, here's why I want you to try this exercise. Because it's really important to finish the conversation with the person you're actually with face to face before starting another one with someone who's not in the same room with you. Because love is slow. And we're so addicted to speed. We're so addicted to productivity. It's an idol in our lives, productivity. We just want to be able to have as many conversations, do as much, get all our stuff done before, and we end up sunset fatigued. Because we were never present. Love is slow. Here's the third thing I'm going to have you do this week. Each week I'm going to give you three different ones. Share a meal with someone this week and actually chew your food. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at this one. Um, I, I'm always woofing down my food. Um, just the other night, having dinner, Michelle's sitting across from me, and she looks at me, she goes, you need to slow down. And it's not because she wanted to talk to me at the dinner table. It's because she was afraid I was going to choke and there would be a medical <laughs> emergency of some sort. <laughs> But there's something that happens when you actually take time to eat food and share food with another person. We see it in Scripture. It's actually a spiritual thing. That when you take the time, this slow, just to sit down and share a meal with someone, there's something that happens. The table all throughout Scripture represents fellowship and relationship and connection. There's something spiritual about it. So chew your food. <laughs> and my prayer is that when we try these exercises, I just gave you three, today, but when we try these, that we'll discover other ways to slow down so that we can um, love God and love others more deeply, so we can resist chronic hurry and, and keep it from stealing another week away of our lives, particularly during Advent season when everything just feels so busy and rushed. And so I want to pray for us because we can't do any of these things without God's help. Have you ever noticed that? If you're following Jesus, like you have every intention to, to obey Scripture and obey what God tells you to do, but it's, it, you find, start to discover it's impossible to do without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit coming into your life 
in, in, in enabling you. So prayer is really important. So can I pray for us as we head into this week of Advent? I invite the worship band to come forward to um, praying. God, I confess in my own life that there's hurry sickness in every corner of my heart. <laughs> I'm uh, constantly feeling rushed and anxious and feeling short of time. But Lord, I need your help to resist it. Because love and hurry are incompatible. And I, I don't want my relationship with you to suffer because I feel rushed, because I feel hurried. I don't want my relationship with people that you've brought into my life to suffer because I feel rushed and hurried. I don't, I don't want my relationship with the world to suffer. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just be the gentle whisper and the gentle reminder for us to slow down so that we can anticipate Jesus coming into our lives and coming again to set the world right. Because what we're really in a hurry for doesn't matter. So we just want to wait and anticipate. But we need your help. Lord, I pray for the next time that we're in the grocery store, that you would give us the uh, foresight, the courage to find the slow line. I pray the next time we're in a conversation with someone and our phone rings or is beeping at us or, or chirping, that, that we would have um, the focus to finish the conversation we're in so that we could love the person in front of us. And I pray, God, that as we share a meal with someone this, this week and eat slow, that you will be present in such a way that there is a connection, maybe even a spiritual dynamic where we can have a conversation about what you're doing in our lives, what you're showing us through Scripture, what you're saying to our hearts. Lord, we do not want to go through another Advent season just busy and depleted and tired and broke. It's countercultural. It's different. But Lord, we want to step into this Advent season of anticipating. We want to be rested. And we want to be present. And we want to be slow. Because love is slow. And we ask this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.